0: Friend, all you true believers and welcome to another episode of The Geeky Gentleman. So, after 11 years and 21 films, The Avengers as we know it has come to a close with the epic film Avengers Endgame. I don't even know where to start, so let's just jump right in. In today's episode, we're going to go into a spoiler-heavy review. So, if you haven't seen it, you might want to stop this podcast right now. Go watch it, sit in the cinema for 3 hours, and then come back and then listen to this podcast because spoilers! Spoilers, 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 spoilers. But again, we're going to go into a spoiler-heavy review, a roundup, and kind of my final thoughts on the newest film by Marvel Studios. So get ready, because there is loads to cover. Also, in our gentlemen's portion, I'll be giving some tips on how to easily dress up casually smart this spring and summer. Alrighty then, enough said, let's go straight into Avengers Endgame. Okay, so I saw it Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. I went to a double feature last night that was essentially at 8.30 was Infinity War, and then immediately after, like, 12.05 was Avengers Endgame. And even now, I am still processing this film. There was just so much epicness. I just can't even sometimes when I think about it too much. It was really an emotional roller coaster. It left me speechless, as you can tell. And I've just never seen a comic book film like that before. The first 15 minutes of the film is essentially all the things that you see in the trailer. Marvel was also very clever about, you know, not trying to give too much away in the trailers. So everything you see in all the promotional videos and trailers and stuff is all in the first 15 minutes of this film. And it just does not go the way that you think it's going to go. It's just so crazy. So, of course, our heroes are beaten down because they lost to Thanos. And they're all sad and, you know, like... Don't know what to do, but they want to do something, obviously. And then comes Captain Marvel, and they actually think they have a chance to, you know, bring back the Avengers and take down Thanos, because they have Captain Marvel with them. So they literally go guns ablazing and attack Thanos, and that in itself was just epic. It just went down so well, and they're just, like, fighting, and then Thor comes in and cuts off his arm, and you find out that Thanos essentially snapped away the Infinity Stones, so the Infinity Stones no longer exist, and our heroes are essentially fuck. <laughs> so, but before you can even, like, process that Thanos is, like, mid-speech, and Thor just cuts off his head. <sighs> like, the entire cinema gasped. No one saw that coming. We all were just like, wait, what the fuck just happened? It was clearly a very strong opening for the film, and it really left everyone immediately wondering, where does this film go from here? five years into the future. That's where we go. So our heroes are truly beating down and moving forward with their lives is something that they are all struggling with. They're still dealing with the fallout even five years later. Iron Man is finally happy though with Pepper Potts. He has a daughter Morgan but he still is struggling with the responsibility of you know trying to help the Avengers even though he is happy with his family. Thor has fallen into such a deep despair of failure that he's hiding behind his alcoholism and it's physically manifested in his large, large belly. He has a beer gut, guys. Thor, God of Thunder, has a beer gut. It was one of the biggest laughs in the film. I think it was actually very shocking. No one was expecting that. I found it funny, but then, you know, as the film progresses and even going towards the end, it's kind of like, he still has a belly. Can we get rid of the belly? But you know what? It was a good laugh, it's something he hadn't seen before, so the MCU did really well with that, but it just really goes to show you how far the God of Thunder has fallen, and how far he's just let himself go. Black Widow is also struggling with the loss of the Avengers. She has come to realize that the Avengers are kind of her new family, and now with half of them gone, she is... Just doesn't know what to do with herself. She is kind of filling the void that was left by Nick Fury. And she's helping manage all the crises that are happening on Earth. She's kind of like the leader. And she's keeping in touch with other people in like Wakanda. She's keeping in touch with the Captain Marvel who's out in space. You know, still saving the universe. She's making sure everyone is knowing what everyone else is doing. And just trying to manage... All the things that are happening on Earth because, you know, it's still not okay after the whole snapening. So we know Hawkeye has gone all Ronin and is killing people left and right because he has no remorse anymore. He's literally lost his family. He lost his family at the beginning of the film, which we know happened because of the original snapening. So now, again, we're five years down the line with this. So he's just killing people and... All the other Avengers are telling Natasha, you know, something has to be done. So she goes and reaches out to him. But he has just fallen that far down that he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. So he's just killing people. The Hulk has gone through another major off-screen character growth as he kind of finally has a balance between his Bruce Banner and Hulk persona. He is essentially mean and green and all very Hulkish, but still has the brains of Bruce Banner. He's kind of joined into one. It seems like a very good balance. But there was something off when he was first brought back in this film. I just felt like, you know, he was kind of like very, he was just very comical, but to the point that it was kind of felt a little off. Like, I don't know if he was like stoned or something. Maybe that was like the whole way, the, the whole secret way he found out how to find that level. You know, he was just, you know, smoking a good joint. Who, who knows? Who knows? But I just felt it was like a little off. Maybe that was just me. Now, Captain America is essentially kind of our eyes into the Avengers. He's, I feel like the one who's like feeling all of their pain, like together. He's trying to stay positive. He really is. He's trying to Help them sort out their issues. But at the same time, he himself is just masking the fact that he cannot move forward. He can't. He's in charge of a therapy group that you see in the film of all these people who are trying to move forward with their lives. And, you know, they can't. And how can he help them? It seems that he has it together, but he he doesn't. He, he himself cannot move forward. He is our eyes as the audience peering into the Avengers and seeing how far everyone is just fallen and just still... Five years later, not okay with the events of Infinity War. I did feel that the film did a really good job showcasing the emotional turmoil of all our heroes without feeling like it was trying to rush the plot along. But you know, as fate would have it, Scott Lang returns from the Quantum Realm. But for him, it's actually only been five hours versus five years. This begins a whole possibility of time travel and essentially rejuvenates the heroes into possibly fixing their future once again. They all split into teams and they dive right into the Quantum Realm And they get to key points of the past MCU flicks to retrieve past Infinity Stones to bring them into the present to use them to reverse the Snappany. Now this is fun because it leads to so many great scenes as our characters travel back into the past. Because you get references, you get callbacks that already expand our already established view of the Marvel films. We get taken back to the invasion of New York in the first Avenger film as Captain America tries to retrieve the scepter containing the Mind Stone. It was kind of reminiscent of the scene from Winter Soldier when Captain America is in the elevator and all the S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Hydra agents come into the elevator and basically they were trying to beat him down. But this time it was the other way around. So Steve goes into this elevator with all the S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Hydra agents. But at that time we all thought that they were just, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's in there, and he's trying to retrieve, you know, the scepter from them, and they don't want to give it to him, so he just, like, whispers in their ear, Elydra. And, of course, they're like, oh, he's with us. And it was just so... It was such a good callback to that scene, but it was so funny because, you know, now we know they're Hydro, hijab- but you know back then we didn't. So it was just fun to kind of, like, play with that. Now, as Tony travels to the past to retrieve the Space Stone, he's able to have a nice bonding, touching chat with his father. And they bond about, you know, their fears of failing as fathers. So that was a really good scene to see between these two. We have Thor traveling to the events of the Dark World as he's trying to retrieve the Reality Stone from Jane. And he sees his mom, Friga, who we know, Thor the Dark World, dies... And they have a nice touching scene also together. And you just really can see, because Chris Hemsworth is such a good actor, you can really see how much Thor has suffered because he literally has lost his entire family. And now he has his chance to talk to his mom. And it's just really fun because as she has powers. She's essentially raised by witches, so she knows he's from the future. So it's nice that having this level of knowledge, we are able to like enjoy this time together before he has to like go and continue his like hero's journey. The Hulk also travels back to the events of the first Avengers film. And he's looking for Doctor Strange because his job was to get the Time Stone. But of course, at that time, there's no Doctor Strange. There was the Ancient One. So as he gets to the New York Sanctum, you actually see the Ancient One fighting the Shintari from the rooftops. And that was just so good to see. Because of course she would be. Because when the first Avengers film happened, we didn't know of the Ancient One or Doctor Strange. So it was just really fun to see that she was fighting the aliens too. Because of course she was. That's what she would be doing. Now, during this quest to get the past Infinity Stones, it comes to the point that we have the first major death in the film and yep there's more than one hawkeye and black widow are tasked to go to vormir to retrieve the soul stone we saw in infinity war someone has to sacrifice themselves in order to get it who's it gonna be this scene was really well choreographed because it really left you guessing who was gonna jump off the cliff first you just really did not know who it was going to be but it was just a nice moment between these two characters who have so much history together that we haven't even seen in the film of course each of them wants a sacrifice to sacrifice themselves so the other one can live. Clint is ready to throw himself off because he's like, you know, like I'm essentially unsavable. I don't care about living anymore. So he was ready to do it, and Natasha was just like, you know, like no, it's okay. She wants to save him because he up on her back when he had a killer when she was doing all the killing. So she kind of like forgives him and doesn't judge him for that so she's willing to do the sacrifice scene. but of course neither of them wants the other person to die so it really leaves you guessing but of course the person who ends up dying is black widow and it's just really really sad she assumes they're going to succeed so she knows if they do succeed hawkeye will get his family back because they died because of the snapping. she knows he still has a chance to have a family and she herself is willing to sacrifice herself for her family the avengers we also have War Machine and Nebula traveling to the past of the First Guardians of the Galaxy film to retrieve the Power Stone. Now this is really important to move the plot along of the film. Long story short, because they're traveling to the past, there exists a past Nebula and present Nebula is also there. So since she's a cyborg and her, you know, Thanos has access to her brain and her memory files before cuz he that's how he finds out that Gamora knew where the Soul Stone was in Infinity War. So there seems to be kind of a joint connection between past Nebula and present Nebula. So because of this, Thanos is able to see through the eyes and memories of present Nebula, who's in the past, the entire events of Infinity War. So that's essentially how he becomes wise to what the Avengers are trying to do. So everyone returns after they retrieve the past Infinity Stones. And as the other Avengers are mourning the loss of Natasha you realize that the Nebula who was with War Machine, who was attempting to retrieve the Power Stone in the past, Nebula that has come back to the present is actually past evil Nebula, and present good Nebula is still stuck in the past. But no one else knows that except the audience. Now, I thought that was a very clever way of the Russo brothers using time travel to kind of go back and expand on all these other things that we've seen in the prior films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I really liked it, and I was not expecting that Nebula was going to be kind of like the way Thanos finds out about what's going on and brings him into the present timeline. So I think that was actually cleverly well done, so I give him kudos for that. And then, you know, just from there, it just goes mental. So the Avengers have all the infinity stones and it falls on Hulk being able to use the stones to reverse the snapping because Thor in his current condition can't do it. And obviously we know using all the infinity stones has a, takes a heavy toll on someone. So, you know, it falls onto Hulk being the strongest there is to do it. So Hulk does a snap, he brings everyone back, but before anyone can even process that, you see all these missiles coming from Thanos' ship, who, he, you know, he's arrived from the past into the present, literally decimates Avengers headquarters, and it's just too much. From, the, from that point to the end of the film, it literally does not stop. I mean, the film already does not stop at any given point, but definitely from that point moving forward, it just goes, 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 Goes. But not only has Thanos brought this entire army with him, we once again see the Black Order alongside two, so that was fun to see because I felt the one film was not enough for them. I would have liked to see them more, but you know what? It was alright. It was okay. As the Avengers are scattered and they're trying to regroup, we see Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man face off against the Matt Titan. This was so epic because while Thor was in the pack, he summons Mjornir and he actually takes him back to the present with him too so now thor is fighting with two hammers and it was just a sight to see he has stormbreaker and he has munir and it was just i just can't even (laughs) it was just so cool Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, they're all fighting Thanos, and Thanos, even without the Infinity Stones, is still really formidable, and they cannot hold him off. You know, Thor would probably be the person who had most chance of fighting him off, but, you know, again, in his current condition, he is just not up to the task. So, there was a point in the fight where Thanos is literally about to plunge Stormbreaker into the chest of Thor, and then he gets hit by Mjolnir, and we see that Captain America is freaking wielding Mjolnir. He is worthy! Captain America was worthy. We saw little hints of in Age of Ultron but like I never thought they would actually like play with the fact that he actually can wield Munir and it was just amazing everyone in the cinema was cheering it was so well done like the Rooster Brothers really thought this out in a way to convey such great action like how can we make this fight even better like how can we take it to that next level, but it makes sense. And Captain America being worthy enough to wield Munir makes sense. It happened in the comic books, but it makes sense, and it just made for such an amazing fight scene. But of course, as we know, Thanos' eventually gets the upper hand, and his full force of the army is ready to descend on the Avengers. We see this really dramatic part of the film where the entire army is ready to just kill everyone, and Captain America, you know, by himself is like, you know, like, going up, you know, ready to, like, face them. But then, you know, we start to see all these portals opening up, and we see everyone who was resurrected from this happening coming ready to fight. Now, while the fights in Infinity War I felt were a little more personal, this final skirmish between our heroes and Thanos was a full-out brawl. There was only one other time where I felt I had this feeling, where in the sense that I was actually seeing a comic book splash page on screen. So for those of you who don't know what a splash page is, it's essentially when you open up a comic book and you see, you know, you know, you're looking at two pages, that entire two pages is one big like, you know, drawing of a fight scene. That's how I felt when I saw the forces of the Avengers fighting off against the forces of Thanos. The only other time I felt like that was happening in front of my eyes in a film was when I watched Captain America Civil War and you have, you know, Iron Man's side running and you have Captain America's side running at each other and then, you know, they just are all going at it at the same time. That was the first time I felt it and this was the second time I felt it and it was just... Too much for the eyes. Like, I'm going to have to watch this so many times just to see what every character is doing and who they're fighting. Because there's just so much going on in this fight. It's just... When I say it's a brawl, it is a brawl. Now, some people might say it's a little messy. I can forgive that just because it's messy because it is just chaos. When... It just reaches that amount of level of participants in a fight. There's no finesse in there. Like, that's what I felt. Infinity War had. Infinity War had the finesse in the fights. Whereas Endgame, it was a brawl. But that's what you wanted. Like, this is like, it is like life and death. All these people are literally just fighting. So, of course, it was going to be messy. But I was okay with it. This brawl is just way too epic. I literally couldn't keep my head straight. There were so many shiny moments in this fight scene Some of my favorites are, of course, everyone should know, Scarlet Witch is my favorite Avenger of all time. So it was really fun because Scarlet Witch is pissed, guys. She is pissed. And you can see it in... You know, just her power set right now. Because she went straight for Thanos in this fight. So, last we saw, you know, she was being dusted in Infinity War after Thanos just killed a Vision. So, she's still not happy about that. So, she literally just gets there and it literally just tears into Thanos. And I was really happy with the way the Rooster Brothers did it this time. Because I did feel that in Infinity War, they made Scarlet Witch a little too much... Pew, 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 with her, like, powers. You know, she was just, like, shooting little energy bolts. You know, she has freaking telekinesis. Why isn't she, like, moving shit around? So I really like that they conveyed more of that in her power set this time in the end game where she's like, you know, like lifting Thanos and stripping the armor off him. Like he, he, you could see that he was in pain. She was actually like hurting him. So I was really happy with how they conveyed Scarlet Witch in this film. And there was a little sense, that you know, she was like, Scarlet Witch looks a little evil right now. So again, hopefully they play with that down the line, down the line, Avengers disassembled. Another fun part in this major fight scene is Spider-Man. So we saw in Spider-Man Homecoming how his Spider-Man suit has an instant kill feature. We finally see that full on. Like, it was so funny. But this is one of those things that you really have to think about to put in there and remember. So it's nice that the Russo brothers take the time to think about these things because of course you would use instant kill there's like all like the outriders are there there's all these people who are trying to kill them literally the easiest thing for spider-man to do would be you know instant kill and it is so well done (laughs) it was just epic We also see Pepper Potts finally in her rescue armor. So it was nice to see her and Iron Man fighting alongside each other. That, I think, was also a very good shiny moment. Finally seeing Gwyneth Paltrow in the armor. A huge shout out to all the female superheroes in the Avengers. The Russo brothers gave us possibly a glimpse of what we can maybe see in the future. Because there's at one point in the big fight scene where all the female superheroes gather up together. It was so amazing. And they are just fighting left and right. I hope they're really hinting that they're going to make an all-female superhero team film. I really think they should. And I think the perfect villain for that would be Hela. So find a way to bring back Hela slash Kate Blanchett so she can be the main villain of this film because I think that would be awesome. So during this entire brawl, Thanos nearly gets the stones a couple of times, and the fight really just keeps you guessing with what's going to happen. Towards the end of the fight, you know, Captain Marvel finally enters the fray. She comes, you know, from space. I was a little sad that she wasn't in it more. At the same time, I was okay with her not being in it more, because, you know, if she can easily beat Thanos, then what are you going to do? I was okay with it, but one of my favorite parts in the film when Captain Marvel is fighting Thanos, is she's holding his, like, hand, you know, from stopping him, you know, from closing his fist so he can't use the stones. So she's using all her strength to, like, hold his hand open. And with his other hand, Thanos just pulls the Power Stone out of the Infinity Gauntlet, puts it into his other hand, makes the fist, and just, you know, like, smacks Captain Marvel. And I thought that was just such a clever, like, idea to uh, have him use that. It's, like, so smart. Like, it was just... Like, stuff like that happens so many times in this fight scene. It's just so well done. The ending finally comes, and in his last-ditch effort, Iron Man takes all the Infinity Stones from Thanos and, you know, sacrifices himself, does the snap, literally snaps Thanos and all of his forces away. Now, we know what this means. We know what this means, and more or less, we all expected this was going to happen. Iron Man makes the huge sacrifice. He sacrifices himself to save everyone. I cried, and I've never heard so many older men cry in a cinema as this moment. You could hear the people in the cinema crying. Even though I knew he was going to die, I half to it was going to either be him or Captain America. I still wasn't ready for it. So when he's, like, dying, he's, like, sitting there, you know, Peter comes, and he's, like, Mr. Stark. And, you know, he's crying, and then Pepper Potts comes, and she's crying, and we're just all crying. It It was a very touching scene. We were all really sad. I'm not ready for Tony Stark to leave. I'm not ready for Robert Downey Jr. to leave. But this point in the story, this sacrifice—it's just amazing. Because if you think back to like the end of the first Avengers, where Captain America and Iron Man—you know—they're not buds yet, so they're like kind of like butting heads. And Captain America says, "You know, you're not the one to like lay down his life for someone." Well, apparently, he is. He—he he has grown up. He has become that person who's ready to lay down his life to save his family, to save his friends. <laughs> it's just really sad. This was the best enough I feel Marvel could have done for the character of Iron Man because Iron Man, I feel, has been carrying such a large load of storytelling for the Avengers. So it's nice to see where Marvel will go now that they don't have, you know, Iron Man to fall back on. Now, since Avengers Endgame is the end of the Avengers current saga, we knew it was going to be the end for many of the original Avengers. You know, Iron Man is dead. Black Widow is dead. Hawkeye seems to possibly have retired permanently now that his family is back. Thor seems to be joining the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I really, really hope this is what's happening. Because he essentially passes, you know, kind of like the mantle of King to Valkyrie, who's now will be like Queen of New Asgard. So he is going into space, you know, just kind of just learn who he is now he's joining you know peter quill drax Rocket raccoon he's joining them all as they go back into space you know i really do hope that we see thor in Guardians of the galaxy 3 and it's probably gonna be called the search for gamora because we see that peter quill is searching for gamora who has been brought back to life coming from the past with thanos into the present But this isn't the Gamora that we know. This isn't the Gamora that was sacrificed to get the Soul Stone for Thanos. This is Gamora circa the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. So she doesn't know who Peter Quill is yet. She hasn't fallen in love with him yet. She hasn't kind of become more human and in touch with her emotions. So it'll be really nice to see how Marvel is going to play with that in the next Guardians of the Galaxy film. Now, to avoid any alternate realities, Captain America goes back to drop off all the past Infinity Stones in their respective, you know, time that they were taken. But instead of coming back to the present, he decides to stay in the past with Peggy and live a happy life. So what we actually see then happen is Captain America is in the present with all the Avengers, but he's now old. He decided to stay back, live his life with Peggy. So he eventually got old to the point that we see him now in the present time. Now, again, this is time travel, and it's just confusing, and no matter what film deals with time travel, there's always going to be flaws or questions, or like, wait, how does that work out? The way time travel is kind of established in Endgame, they say that you cannot change your past. Essentially, if you go to the past, the present becomes your past, and all this other mumbo jumbo. Essentially, what it means is you cannot change what has happened in your timeline. You know, essentially what happens is alternate timelines. Because that brings into questions, if Captain America was in the past, why didn't he stop Thanos in the first place? Why didn't he save Bucky from becoming Winter Soldier? So it just becomes really confusing when you think too much about it. The way I kind of make sense of it is when Captain America went back to the past to drop off all the Infinity Stones, he stays with Peggy and that kind of diverges and makes an alternate timeline where he essentially lives his life with Peggy and gets older and then... Where the two timelines meet, where he comes back to the present day and we see him in present day as an old man. That's where the kind of like the timelines kind of like, I guess, like heals itself or kind of like converges back into one. And as an old man, he passes the mantle of Captain America to Falcon. But again, time travels. So. Who knows? My final thoughts on Endgame is that it is an epic movie. I loved it. I really, really, really did love it. There are a little things that I wasn't the biggest fan of, and I'll go into those in a hot minute. Generally, I love it. It was everything it needed to be. It really avoided being too formulaic in terms of what we were expecting to see. In comparison to the other Avenger films the directors really made sure to keep us on our toes the entire time in regards to fight scenes and the plot they just did really good on that the climactic battle scene was an overload of emotions it really just shows how 11 years of films can pay off in one big finish other movie studios have tried to copy this formula or this you know this pattern of you know this mega franchise and building upon all these other films to have these larger films, you know, DC, Fox they've really tried to do the same thing and they have not succeeded so that just shows you it's not an easy thing to do and Marvel has just done it so well. Can Endgame be a solo film? Can it be a standalone film by itself? No. It really could not exist without setting everything up in the past Marvel films but it was never meant to be a standalone film you have to see all the other films to understand to really, you know, reap the joys of everything that happens in this film. You have to. When you go see Endgame without seeing all the prior MCU films, you're only doing yourself a disservice. That's, you're only hurting yourself. I love this film literally so much. I am seeing again tomorrow. I really cannot wait to just sit down for another three hours and just watch it and feel like I can take it in a little bit better, I guess, because I was just like overload. I really just could not deal with everything that was happening first time around. But if I had to pick some things that I just didn't necessarily like too much of the film, the first one I would say is I do feel that the death of Black Widow was not handled the bestest in the sense of so iron man died too he gets his whole funeral at the end you know and all the characters like pay their respects and everything you know where's black widow's funeral like why does she get the snub i really don't like the fact that you know could have easily been a funeral for iron man and black widow so that just kind of you know it didn't set well with me. And you know what? I didn't even think about it when I finished watching the film. It just came, you know, afterwards when I was like laying in bed, you know, at 4 a.m. in the morning, still trying to process what happened. And I was like, wait, where's the funeral for Black Widow? So I felt that was a little bit, you know, like a snub. So didn't like that. Also, I was kind of really, 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 really hoping that because they went back into time and there's all this time travel aspect to it. I really was hoping there would have been more character resurrections in terms of, past characters that have died you know for sure being alive back in present time specifically for me and it's probably just because I really like the character I would have really liked to see Quicksilver return I would have really liked to see Hela return if she's officially dead but you know we didn't get that so who knows maybe that'll happen or Marvel will find another way to bring back these characters because I really want them to bring them back but that's just me that is just me now, Endgame may have been an ending for some of our characters, but it is actually a beginning for so much more. To have been able to see the characters progress and grow as much as they had in these 11 years of storytelling, for me as a personal fan, it was just amazing. It was I, I really always leave the cinema thinking, such a good time to be alive. But I've been touched by these films so much and this film, Endgame, really was just kind of, you know, like the clinch board. Like I was just everything I wanted it to be and I still don't think I've realized how much this film meant to me right now because even now I'm still just still processing it. There's so much to take in. One of the things I take away from Endgame is the fact that it focuses on the actual human cost of heroism. In Infinity War, I felt all our heroes were struggling with personal sacrifice. Endgame shows that our heroes have learned from their mistakes, and they've come to terms with what real great personal sacrifice is. And it's just a really touching, you know, very important lesson to learn from these films that, you know, have to do with heroes trying to save the world and save the day and save people's lives. There's a cost to that. And I feel Endgame really, really shows you what sacrifice is for the greater good. But it's not all bad. We have Spider-Man Far From Home coming later on this year, so, you know, the MCU won't stay this dark for too long. But now it's time for the gentleman portion of The Geeky Gentleman. So we're now in spring, summer's not too far away, and as the weather starts to heat up, it kind of becomes very much easy to start just to dress for comfort. So for this part of the podcast, I just wanted to give you guys some quick tips, even though you're dressing very casually, how to still look smart while being casual. So my first tip would be drop the jeans. Now, I know everyone loves jeans. At least for me, I get too hot. I get hot very easily. But for me, it's just jeans are just too warm. So actually, just trade in your jeans for a nice pair of trousers or chinos. They're actually way more comfortable too. You'll find that if you're wearing a pair of smart trousers or chinos, it's actually... Easier to make a smarter looking combination. Crop trousers are actually my favorite thing right now. I'm wearing them right now too. I feel if you just have trousers instead of jeans, you are immediately boosting your kind of smart level of casualness. Moving on to the second point, t-shirts. Just tuck them in. So I feel for most guys, the staple of dressing casual and easy is a t-shirt and jeans. So just trade that out. Use the first point. Trade out your jeans, get some chinos. And when you have your t-shirt, just tuck it in. You don't even have to wear a belt. I don't even wear a belt sometimes. It literally just looks so smart instantly. And you can even branch on and be a little bit more creative when you're doing this. You know, get a pair of trousers that has a good pattern on it. Or, you know, maybe just a little bit louder of a color. And just pair that with a color combination that works t-shirt. And you are kind of already making a very good, bold statement. So my final tip now would be shoes. Now, to finish off a look, you need a good pair of shoes. So what I'm essentially saying is leave your active sneakers, your gym sneakers, at home. If you'd wear it to the gym, if you'd work out in these shoes, do not wear them with the look. If you really want to wear sneakers, wear some high-end sneakers or some nice dress shoes, some lace-up shoes... Or my favorite thing to do is to wear a pair of loafers. Because, again, I like to wear crop pants. I feel loafers look really good with crop pants. And they come in a multitude of colors. You can get them in leather or suede. And it just makes you look so much smarter than if you're wearing just regular trainers or sneakers. So those would be my three main easy tips to instantly make yourself look smarter while dressing casually. First tip, drop the jeans. T-shirts, tuck them in. Shoes, wear smarter shoes. Don't wear your sneakers. If you incorporate those three easy tips for your just casual daily looks, you will look so much better. I promise you. Alrighty guys, that's it for today's episode of The Geeky Gentleman. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this episode. And I'll have another episode coming right at you guys very, very soon. So until next time, I'm your host, David Calderon, and I'll see you later.